Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to a practical show done by a practical guy. And I am just an ordinary guy. I'm not ex-law enforcement or ex-military or a gunsmith. I do a little firearms training on the side, but I'm just a regular guy like all of you. And I take my Second Amendment rights very seriously. And I share them with you on this podcast. So this comes out on July 5th, 2020. Happy 4th of July to all of my American listeners. I know I have international listeners as well. So I want to specify happy birthday, America, to all of us. And uh, you should be celebrating that. I know we have a lot of issues in this country right now, but we really should be celebrating the founding of our country and the freedoms that we were initially given in the beginning that seem to be eroding away, but regardless of what your political views are, I, I really believe that you, you should be celebrating what we have here today because for those of you that disagree with, our, with, with a lot of what's going on in the country, you have the right to disagree and disagree peacefully because of the system that we have here in this United States of America. You think about it, in a lot of other countries, they are much more forceful on protesters. Uh, Hey, in some countries, folks, people get killed if they protest too much uh, against their country. So they don't have some of the same freedoms that a lot of soldiers fought and died for like we have here. So be proud of that and be thankful of that as you listen to this. And so I'd like to share with you something that's actually in the beginning of the declaration. It's, uh, it's in the second paragraph, and I think it's probably the most important part. And it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That's a very important part. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Wow, think about that. You know, what these guys were saying was that whenever the government becomes too destructive and, uh, and they are not operating by the consent of the government, it's time to change governments. That's what that's saying. All right, I'll say that again. They declared that when the government starts to basically work against the people who actually give them the consent to govern, then it's it's the people's obligation to institute a new government. How how applicable is that today with what's going on? Wow, think about that. I mean, it sure seems like uh, like hmm, maybe that's happening right before our very eyes. Please remember, this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of terrific holsters. Uh, You can get a 10% discount on your holster purchase just because you listen to this show. Just use the one one word coupon code HANDGUNWORLD. One word coupon code HANDGUNWORLD for a 10% discount. ConcealmentSolutions.com is the website. Fantastic Products. I want to dedicate this episode right now to talking about the Smith & Wesson M&P pistols. You know, I've owned uh, M&P pistols for quite a while, and I've talked about them before. I put a video out about a year and a half ago as to why, why I really actually prefer the Smith & Wesson M&P over the Glock. Now, I still shoot Glocks pretty much most of the time, uh, but... I, I have to say, if I am going to recommend a gun to somebody, uh, and I hate doing that, I hate, I hate telling them, 
okay, this is the kind of gun you should buy. I don't think that that really... It's difficult to do that because everybody's different. I don't think it's really good advice to give someone. I think the best advice you can give somebody is borrow or rent some guns first and shoot them and see what you like best. And after you're finished borrowing and renting, then make your purchase. But if you can't do that, if that's not feasible for you, and you have to take the recommendation of somebody, get a recommendation from people who actually shoot and shoot a lot. Uh, don't get a recommendation from somebody who um, barely goes to the range more than three or four times a year and doesn't really do much practicing and training because they're probably not going to have the same type of experiences. Would you agree? So, I hope so. So, if you ask me for my recommendation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that you go get a Glock or an M&P or possibly even a, uh, a SIG, a striker-fired gun. One of those three. And I'm probably going to lean heavily towards the M&P and the Glock. But, but the SIG 320 series, uh, they're all pretty good now. And, uh, and I've had a chance to shoot them and evaluate them. And I like them. I'm going to give you a, kind of a, a foreground to this story. So a few days ago, I was at the range with my friend Ben Branham, and we did a lot of filming for the Shooters Club and also for our Modern Handgunners YouTube channel. The really nice thing about doing that, we have to pay a little extra fee to get the range, but you get a chance to get some good training and good practice, and you get a chance to, I get a chance to have Ben watch me and kind of critique me a little bit and point some things out, and that's what... That's also important to me, is having somebody knowledgeable watch what I'm doing and and critique me. So we were doing some speed drills. Basically, how quickly can, can you draw from an outside the waistband holster and put one round and make a hit on target? And the distance was, I think, about pretty close to 10 yards, maybe just short of 10 yards. And uh, he, we, we were evaluating a new M&P holster that he purchased. So I brought my Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0, the one that's completely stock. 2.09 millimeter uh, M&P. And I got to say, during these speed drills, it was amazing. And my accuracy was incredibly good a few days ago. Um, I was trying to get my draw and, and hit first hit on target under 1.5 seconds but I just couldn't I came real close 1.59 I don't practice that enough I need to practice it more and that's just that I want to get it down to under 1.5 and then eventually I need to get it pretty close to one second that's my ultimate goal be able to draw and get my first hit on target in about one second or a little maybe just a little bit slower maybe 1.2 I'd be happy with that if I can do that consistently but I was consistently around 1.6 seconds so here's what I learned this pistol works real well when you don't get an ideal grip on the gun you know when you're practicing for speed sometimes when you draw you don't have a perfect grip on the gun and Smith and Wesson with their with their nice grip texture that really helps with the nice texturing on these 2.0s it makes a huge difference when you don't get an ideal grip I was basically shooting inch and a half two inch groups going for speed and a lot of times I didn't have a real good grip on the gun and, and the accuracy even Ben said on the video he said, those, those groups you're shooting are, are really good. And uh, you can watch that. You can go over to my Facebook page. I put that, that post up re uh, recently on Facebook and check that out. But I was, uh, I was noticing that. And so that's one of the huge advantages of this gun is the grip texture. And a lot of people think that it's, it's too aggressive, that the grip texture's too aggressive. I'll share something with you. I have about... 12 or 1300 rounds shot through this gun now 
And that grip texture is not nearly as rough as when I first got it. I think my hand has kind of worn down the texture a little bit. Or I've got, my hand has gotten used to it, maybe. Maybe that's part of what's going on. Or maybe a little bit of both. I've worn down the texture a little bit and and my hand has gotten used to it. And, I, and I'll share something else with you I learned. When I, when I first bought this gun, I had the small back strap on it. The small sized. Because I thought I needed it. And I shot for a long time with the small, but that was not a good idea. Uh, it made the gun too small for my hands. Uh, you get four grip uh, panels with this gun. Four extra back straps. Four. That's what's really good. No matter what size your hand is, um, with four different choices, it's probably going to fit you. And, you know, of course, even though they call it a compact, I would call it a midsize. Because to me, a compact gun is like a shield or a P365 or a Glock 43. That's my idea of a compact gun. My idea of a midsize gun is an MP2.0 or a Glock 19, something like that. So I would call this a mid-sized gun, not a compact gun. But anyway, that's just all wording. So with the medium backstrap, it's best for me. The medium. Uh, it gives me it gives me more surface of the of the gun to grab onto with both both hands, my right hand and my left hand. It gives you know when I put my people like to call it the weak hand. I like to call it the other shooting hand. Uh, the reason I like to call it the other shooting hand is, you know, go look at the video I just put up. Ben and I did a real nice video on one-handed shooting. I did an audio podcast a few weeks back about one-handed shooting, and Ben and I demonstrated it on our YouTube channel. So if you go check it out at Modern Handgunners, it's also on the Handgun World YouTube. It's posted in both places. I'll put links in the show notes. Check it out. We we explain why. And then we demonstrate it. And when you shoot one-handed, that's where this grip texture comes in nicely. It really, really makes a big difference. When you put the gun in your hand that you're not used to shooting with, it it really the grip texture really helps you stabilize the gun. It really does. It really does a good job of helping you hold it still, stabilize it, which a lot of people have trouble with when they're shooting one-handed. I noticed that. They have a hard time holding it stable. You should be able to hold the gun still with either hand, either one. That's how much practice I think that you should give this, especially if you plan to compete because in competition, uh, there's a lot. They, they often put one-handed shooting in there, and they make you use both of your hands um, and do it one-handed. So think about that. So I noticed that was one major advantage, and it was uh, it was a significant one. So Smith and Wesson really did a brilliant job with the texturing on this gun. I think. Now let's talk about the trigger. The trigger on the 2.0 much improved versus the 1.0. I used to own a 1.0 and I did not like it. I did not like it. I liked the gun, did not like the trigger. And that's why Apex became so successful uh, selling triggers. And I know a lot of people, uh, including me, upgraded the other 2.0 I have to an Apex trigger. And I haven't really noticed that much of a difference to be honest with you, I really haven't. Um, I don't mind this hinged trigger. Some people say they don't like the curve and the hinge of the M&P trigger. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't, doesn't affect me one way or the other. Uh, as a matter of fact, it actually feels better than Glock's trigger. So that's what I'll say. And I think the trigger brake on the 2.0 much more improved than the 1.0. The, the reset is much better. Now, if you learn to slap the trigger, which most good, um, good shooters eventually learn how to do, they learn how to have a modern thumbs forward grip and they slap the trigger. Uh, it's much easier to do with the M&P's trigger 
Number one, I like the fact that it's set back a little bit farther than the Glock trigger. In other words, the trigger reach, even when I put the medium back strap on it, the trigger reach is shorter. At least it feels shorter to me. A lot shorter. And that means I can get more finger on the trigger. And that means I usually don't shoot left as much. I usually don't push this gun and shoot low and left. Not nearly as much as I do with my Glock. Now, recently I mentioned and I did a whole YouTube video on my uh, Glock 19 build. And when I say Glock 19 build, I mean I took an ordinary Glock 19 and I modified it significantly and I and I made it you know fit me and I made it shoot the way I wanted it to shoot and replaced I replaced the trigger connector and and uh, the recoil spring assembly and, and a barrel to exactly the way I wanted it so I significantly upgraded that gun so I'm talking about a straight stock out of the box M&P uh, I'm not talking about a modified one but that Glock 19, you know, I modified that whole thing and I made it unique and made it fit to me. But that's not what I'm saying here when I'm talking about the M&P 2.0. So I think when I analyze this gun and the trigger, the trigger doesn't bother me. Not at all. Uh, the trigger reach, like I said, is better. Um, I, just, I think out of the box, it's probably one of the best values that you can get in in buying a handgun now the sig pistols are good the 320s are good the series the the, the p365s the 365 xl the p320s those are good they're very popular uh they're very good they sit a little bit too high in my hand for my liking uh it's one reason why i like the m&p it sits lower in my hand it has a, a little bit lower feel in other words, to me, that's for me, it's better. Now, some people don't care about how high a gun sits in the hand. They don't care. 1911 shooters probably don't care because 1911s, at least for me, they sit kind of high, much higher than a Glock or an M&P. And a lot of people who shoot SIGs, the 320s, even the regular SIGs, they don't care. The Berettas, they don't care. They like guns that sit up high in their hand. That's fine. If you like that, then that's great. Then carry on. I like one that sits a little lower. The M&P seems pretty much just right. It's not too low, but it's low enough to where I can... It helps me to control recoil. I don't know about you, but it helps me to control recoil to have a gun that sits a little bit lower. And that's a big deal. So out of the box, you know, that's what you, that's what you get. Um, these are perfectly upgradable. There's a lot of things that you can do. You can't quite do as much as you can with a Glock, but I don't think it needs as much upgrading. I really don't. I don't think it needs as much upgrading because the grip the grip on an M&P fits just about anybody. Like I said, you get the four grip back straps out of the box, so you can customize it to fit anybody's hand. Uh, it's got... Nice cutouts at the bottom of the grip, at least enough. Enough cutout at the bottom on the sides of the grip where it's supposed to be, not on the front of the grip, like Glock did originally with the Gen 5s and the Gen 2. So on the sides, if you need to rip out a magazine, you know, you, you got a little bit of uh, indentation there on both sides of the pistol that make it a little bit easier to rip the magazine out if you, if you really need to do that um, if you have that kind of a malfunction now I've never had a situation it's just never happened to me when I'm trying to reload that when I press the button the magazine does not come flying out of there um, with this M&P matter of fact it's it's happened to me on my Glock before where I the magazine wouldn't drop free very easily and I've had to rip it out but with this M&P that's never really happened uh, the magazine comes shooting right out of there, which is, that's that's nice as well. But if you got to rip it out, you got those, uh, you got those little in indentations. So, Smith & Wesson seemed to think of a lot of things. They pretty much covered most of the bases that people need. Uh, I'd put different sights on this gun, if I were you. Uh, 
later on after you've shot it. Like I said, I'm a firm believer. Give every gun that you have that you're going to carry uh, or shoot a lot. Give it a thousand round trigger job before you make any modifications at all. And lately I've been saying 2,000 round trigger job, but now i got to go back to a 1,000 round trigger job just because ammo is so high. <laughs> the cost is so high. When it was cheap, when ammo was cheap about a year ago, a 2,000 round trigger job was not expensive to do. Now a 2,000 round trigger job is pretty expensive because I don't know about you, but if you've purchased 9mm target ammo recently, it's uh, $300 for a case of 1,000. Which is ridiculous, but given the times and the things that are going on right now, I can, I can understand. Everybody is um, freaking out and panic buying and all that stuff, and that's just the way it is. Hopefully, all that will calm down. So, after you give this a thousand-round trigger job, then I'd say put some new sights on it. Uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say do many trigger modifications, if at all. Uh, maybe the only thing you might want to do is if you like the flat-faced trigger shoe, then then put in put in the flat trigger. Uh, maybe don't don't mess around with any of the other trigger parts, but if you like a flat trigger, put that in there or something like that. Again, I got no problem with the factory trigger on the 2.0s whatsoever. It just seems to work for me, and I'm going to leave it alone. And I noticed the trigger pull lightened up significantly after about 1200 rounds much different trigger than it was when i first took this out of the box so uh, mmps their triggers break in nicely now i had a chance at the range a few days ago to shoot ben's uh version one mmp i think he's had that thing about six years or seven years he's got just a regular standard size full size version 1 M&P. I, I bet he's got 30,000 rounds, if not more, through that thing. And I, I'm pretty sure it's the original trigger. And that was just extremely uh, broken in. And I could tell. I could tell that that trigger was nowhere near as stiff as, as when he first got it. And, of course, his is a version 1, which I think is not as good of a trigger as the version... 2.0s having said that uh like I, i'll get back to what i was saying the trigger breaks in nicely and there is a significant amount of take up more take up than i would like you know it seems like but but this break is so clean it's such a clean break and one of the things that you can tell is when you press the trigger the front sight does not move it does not. I mean, it, that's if your if your fundamentals are sound. If you're not jerking the trigger, and you're smooth, you have a good grip on the gun. Your trigger press is smooth and consistent. The front sight's not going to move. And some guns, several of them out there on the market, when they're brand new, with a stock trigger, it's it's pretty difficult to stop the the front sight from moving when you press the trigger. Um, but it's easy with a broken-in uh, MMP 2.0 trigger. I noticed that. And, of course, that, that when you can, and I, most of it is skill. Most of it is not, it's not the gun. It's skill. When you can keep that gun from moving at all when you press the trigger, uh, that's a big key right there in your ability to shoot accurately. You just don't move the gun. I mean, that's... Easier said than done, I realize that, but that's the key. Don't let the gun move. And after you fire it, try not to let it move too much during recoil. And and know when to press the trigger again. Know when your sights are going to be right back where you want them and press the trigger again. Now, I'll say something else when I was doing speed drills. Speed drills at about 8 yards or 9 yards, I think is where we were. Uh, a lot of that is point shooting because we were shooting at a, a metal target. We were shooting at a steel target, which is a little bit little bit smaller than, than a human torso, a little bit, little bit less than that. 
And that's not difficult to hit at eight yards. It's really not. I don't really need to have a perfect sight picture to hit that. Okay, I'm, I'm doing a lot of point shooting. In other words, I'm pointing the gun at the target and I'm making a hit. Matter of fact, like I said, Ben was surprised because I was getting two-inch groups or less speed shooting from eight yards. Now, if I was, if I was taking my time and slowing down, two-inch groups is not, not that great. But I was going fast. And if I slowed down, I can probably do one-inch groups at that distance but again I was practicing for speed and so I noticed that when I'm point shooting um, and this is the only time I'm ever going to say this uh, I'm never going to say it again because I don't believe in it too much and that is grip angle I don't believe in grip angle very much unless I'm doing a lot of point shooting then it makes a little bit of a difference not a lot okay a gun that points naturally is is naturally going to be better for you when you're point shooting. In other words, when you're not waiting until you get a full sight picture, when you know the gun is on target, you press that trigger as soon as you know it's on target. And like I said, under 10 yards, it's not difficult. Now, are you going to be able to consistently shoot two-inch groups doing that? Probably not. Okay? Uh, but I'm just talking about making a, a good hit. You should be able to make good hits, even hits in the zone where you're supposed to be able to put it. With enough practice, you should be able to do that. And I noticed a little bit of an advantage because of the grip angle of the M&P versus Glock. Again, I got so much practice with a Glock that I can pretty much do the same with a Glock. It doesn't matter. With my Glock 19 or 17, I can draw for speed and I can be in that 1.6 second round a range, and I can, I can make hits. I just noticed it was a tad bit easier with the M&P. And I think some of that had to do with grip angle. That's the only time that I think grip angle really matters, is when you're, when you're shooting and you don't have a complete, perfect, aligned sight picture. And if you think about it, in a real-life self-defense situation, you might find yourself quite a few times in a situation where you don't have a real good, complete sight picture. The bad guy, pretty much most of the time, is going to dictate the terms of the fight. And most of the time, he's not going to give you the time and the ability to get a perfect sight picture. If he does, you're lucky. But most of the time, he's not going to. So I would say set it a goal. Just, just a suggestion here. Not trying to tell you what to do, but set a goal to learn how to shoot that way and make hits. Start with a paper target and start close at three yards. And be able to draw and, and get a hit in less than one and a half seconds. And just do that at three yards until you can get good at that. Um... The best would be two hits in like maybe one and three quarter seconds. That's your first goal. Then, then after you get good at doing that at three yards, try to get that time down to like 1.2, 1.3, or 1.4 at the most, I would say, at three yards. Once you get good at that, then back up to five, then back up to seven. And your body will figure out, your mind and your body will get together and they'll figure out what, what you have to do to get those hits, I, I promise. Now, if you come to the training class that Ben and I are teaching, September 19th and 20th, we're going to teach you how to do this. September 19th and 20th in San Antonio, uh, Beyond Concealed Carry. And uh, we're, we're going we're to spend two days with you and teach you how to do this. And if you're a new shooter, don't be afraid of the class. We're going to spend the first half a day on the absolute basics, shooting 101. The first half a, half a day is going to be shooting and drawing 101. So if you don't have much experience, that's okay. By the end of the first day, you'll feel comfortable keeping up with the rest of the class. Day two is where we really, uh, really perfect it and get you doing things that you probably didn't know that you could do with your gun. But I'm going to say that... Um, if you get good at three yards and five yards, you're going to find that you don't always have to 
bring that gun up to your line of sight and have a perfect sight picture to put that round right where you want it. As a matter of fact, if you come to a competition match, you watch the real good shooters, you watch those that are that are expert and master class shooters, and you can easily tell that some of the close targets they basically they're they're firing a split second after they get that gun out of the holster because they know where their gun is pointed because because they've done it so many times they've practiced it so many thousands of times that that they know what the gun is going to do at that range based on where they have it pointed i mean you can see it if you just watch them and you know i, I discovered that about 10 years ago nine or ten years ago shortly shortly after i started doing this podcast i discovered that when i was at a match one day and i said i gotta talk about this i I gotta tell people what i'm what i'm seeing out here because i was seeing the real good shooters i mean i could tell they'd come out of that holster and they would get that gun about halfway maybe three quarters of the way to their line of sight and bang they they fired the first shot and and it, it was a good shot it was right in in the uh, in the circle where they needed it to be. Now they weren't doing that on the 15-yard shots, okay? But they were doing that with with the close targets that were like five yards or less. And so that's when the light bulb came on for me. I went, "Aha! Okay, I need to learn how to do do that." And it takes a while. And again, I'm not fast enough. I'm not satisfied with a 1.59 time. That, that was that was my best the other day working at the range 1.59 seconds I was not not satisfied with that a little bit too slow I think Ben did like a 1.09 or a 1. no I think it was 1.12 that was his best time out there so he's a little bit faster than I am Uh, but I'm getting there so anyway getting back to this M&P 2.0 the the sights the stock sights are are metal they're metal. They're three dot white, white three dot sights, which I've been shooting three dot sights pretty much since the very beginning when I started in 2005. Uh, I got used to shooting three dot sights. Now my ideal sight picture for me, ideal, is a totally black rear sight and a fiber optic front red sight or green, red or green, either one. They other than the color, they stand out about the same to me. But I don't mind three dots. I mean, it doesn't. It's it's easy for me to line up three dots. Uh, it's not that hard. I've been doing it for so long. Ideally, it's not what I want. But you know what? I'm talking about out of the box. So I'm going to continue to shoot this MMP 2.0 just like it is from the factory. Uh, and I'm going to see uh, how well I can actually do with this. But I think, I think. Uh, out-of-the-box factory configuration uh, for the price for the price I think it's the best deal out there to be honest with you I mean there's other guns you can buy that are better out of the box but they cost a lot more now I'm not talking about today's prices when everybody's panic buying it drives the prices way up I'm talking about normal price Um, I got this one at a gun show the normal price, the uh, the dealer at a gun show, he had this priced at 435 And Smith & Wesson, that week, had a $50 rebate going. So I mailed in the card, and I got my $50 back about three weeks later. So my net cost was $385 plus tax. Not bad, huh? <laughs> I think it's the best value that I've ever, um, I've ever had purchasing a gun. And Smith & Wesson is keeping their prices. They seem to keep their prices below that of Glock and Sig. Which I think is also a smart idea. Plus, for those of you who care about such a thing, it's totally 100% American made and a 100% American company. So there you go. Um, If you care about that. Now, I I don't want you to think I don't care about America. I love America, but... I don't care about a gun if it's made in another country. As long as it works for me, as long as I like it, I don't care where it's made. I I, I don't care. I've said that before. I don't care which country makes it. If it shoots well, it works for me, and I like it, 
I'm going to use it and I'm going to shoot it. But for, for those of you who care about such a thing, then, then that's a big plus for the MMP 2.0 because it is American-made. I would strongly suggest you get the no thumb safety version. Uh, I really don't like the way that uh, Smith & Wesson does the thumb safeties on the MMPs. I think kind of, it's kind of a cheesy thumb safety. I really do. I don't like it. Um, I just don't think, it, don't think it's well designed. And quite frankly, on a defensive handgun, I know I get people arguing with me about this, but I don't think you need a thumb safety on a defensive pistol. I think that's just one more unnecessary step that you have to go through that could cost you half a second when you need your gun the most. I, I think the safeties that are built into the gun are good enough. This has a trigger safety built into it. It's got a firing pin, pin safety built into it. And of course, of course, the most important safety is your brain and your trigger finger. That's, that's the most important safety. Um, so I would get the version without the thumb safety and without the magazine disconnect safety. I think that's another unnecessary feature. I know people... Their argument is, well, what happens if the bad guy gets your gun away from you? Well, you know, um, it's pretty difficult when somebody's wrestling you to get your gun. It's pretty difficult to eject the magazine. Um, it's been done. I understand it's been reported to have been done. Uh, but I took a force on force class. And I, I had a hard enough time getting my gun out of the holster and and getting shot before he shot me now the last thing i wanted to think about during that force on force class was ejecting the magazine in case he got my pistol i i, I just think people are i think it's a a magazine disconnect uh, disconnect safety is i think it's nothing more than a safety to satisfy politicians that's it i don't think it's a safety that's really going to protect your life i may get some disagreement on that that's fine. You're welcome to disagree with me. I have an open mind. Um, send me an email or call in a voicemail, whatever. Uh, if, if you can come up with a really good example of, of how that really made a difference. But I prefer the type without the magazine. Uh, disconnect safety. Or with, yeah, without that safety. And it says right on the side of the gun. says on the right side of the slide. Capable of firing without a magazine inserted that's the one that you want uh, this the M&P's have a completely ambidextrous um, slide release now I'm gonna critique the slide release a little bit um, it's it's difficult where, where it's positioned it's difficult and it's small for me to use for some reason, it's more difficult for me to use than than the slide release on a Glock. For some reason, I can reach the Glock better than I can on the M&P. But I can get used to it. it. Just takes more practice. The magazine release button, I think, is better on the M&P. Uh, one of the features that people like to find is a magazine release button that they can press without having to readjust your grip to be able to reach it and I like that Smith & Wesson has done a good job I don't have to readjust my grip and the magazine literally comes flying out of that gun with uh, with no problem it's almost like it's on a spring ready to launch it right out of the gun when you press the mag release button and to me that's a positive I like that so don't like the way they've done the slide release. I do like the way that they've done the magazine. Now, I wish that there was aftermarket magazine release levers like there is for a Glock. I wish there was more aftermarket stuff like that for the M&Ps. Uh, so that's one of the criticisms I have of M&Ps and SIGs. And I'm talking about their striker-fired guns. There's not as much aftermarket parts available. There just isn't. When I compare it to Glock, there's not as many aftermarket parts if you want to do some customizing. 
Now there are specialty gunsmiths you can send your M&P to and they will do a lot of really cool things to it but again I just don't think it needs all that much. Um, the M&P 2.0 has a uh, metal it has a metal stainless steel guide rod and recoil spring assembly not plastic I think that's good it's got a metal reinforced lower uh, in other words the frame is metal reinforced the 1.0's are not supposedly that's an advantage um, I don't know I don't have enough time shooting an M&P 1.0 version and comparing it to a 2.0 maybe if some of you have some experience comparing those two uh, call in a voicemail 210-646-1727 or send me an email give me some feedback on that I'd like to hear from you about that let's see what else can I say about this pistol that I think makes it really good I've covered the oh the magazines I haven't covered that metal magazines metal good quality magazines 15 round on this compact the other nice thing is you can use the full-size 17 round magazines and they give you a pretty good sleeve to put on that so that it it's almost a completely seamless gap and that's really important so when you put in the longer magazine you have a sleeve so that it fits in the gun properly you can't over insert it and there's not a huge gap that pinches your finger you know, that's one thing I don't like about some guns when you use an extended magazine for me it pinches my pinky finger when I'm shooting and if I take like a two-day class I really feel it because you know it's been for 800 rounds or 700 rounds it's been pinching my finger when I shoot the doggone thing I have not noticed that with the 17 round mags because of the good sleeves that they put the magazine sleeves that you get two of them in the box so shooting 17 round mags with this pistol is really nice and it feels it feels like it was supposed to have a 17 round magazine uh, so out of the box you get those sleeves very good idea again very well thought out by Smith and Wesson their magazines are durable pretty durable I don't know who the official manufacturer is of these magazines I'm gonna take a guess that it might be Metgar because they make a lot of the metal magazines for manufacturers out there I don't know all mine says is nine millimeter it's got the Smith and Wesson logo on it and that's it and it's got the it's got the holes on the side so I can see how many rounds I have in it but I got a feeling now if I'm wrong if you know I'm wrong about that let me know um, you don't and again you don't need to put an extended magazine to get a full grip on this gun most people don't I've seen I've seen some that this gun might be too small for their hands but not many not many so it's a uh, it's relatively easy to carry relatively easy to conceal it is a bit heavy it's a bit heavy when you compare it to a Glock 19, which this gun is most often compared to a Glock 19. It's probably also pretty much compared to a uh, Sig P320 Compact. Now, it might not be heavier than the 320 Compact, but it's definitely heavier than the Glock. I'd say probably two or three ounces. That doesn't make a lot of difference, but actually in shooting it, it makes a difference. Uh, seems like less perceived recoil with the M&P. And I say the word perceived. In other words, it feels like it's less. It might be the same amount of recoil, but maybe the spring and the design of the gun or whatever, I have less perceived recoil with the same ammo. Especially when I'm shooting my real hot-loaded uh, uh, Federal HST concealed carry loads just seems like they recoil less in the M&P 2.0 I, I don't know why uh, again I'm not a physics expert to figure out why and how the gun is built maybe if some of you have information on that let me know um, the takedown process very easy just like any 
you know, just flip this uh, takedown lever about, I guess it's about a quarter of a turn or something like that. You know, lock it open, lock the gun open, and then flip down the takedown lever. You don't have to press the trigger to get this slide off the gun. Uh, I think that's nice. If you, if you want, you can use a pencil or a tool or something like that to reach down inside the gun and, uh, and press the lever so that you don't have to press the trigger. Now, I'm going to say something about that. And, and if you're smart and you double and triple check and make absolutely 100% sure that your chamber is empty and even put your finger in there and feel to make sure your trigger is empty, you're not going to have a problem. So I do use the trigger to take the slide off like I just did now. Okay, I do. I'm used to that. Uh, I'm used to it with clocks, and I'm used to paying attention to what I'm doing. The only time people have accidents when they press the trigger, field stripping their gun, is because they weren't paying attention. They didn't pay attention to make sure that their gun was empty. Go through the proper motions to do that, and you're going to be just fine. Okay? I can tell that the frame... The frame, I can, I can see the metal reinforcements up near the, uh, close to uh, the dust cover, the dust cover area where the, where the rail is. I mean, close to that, near the takedown lever. But it's super easy, super easy to take this gun apart for field stripping and then simply put it right back together just like a Glock. So, so the simplicity, it's almost the same. Now, it's, it's more difficult, I think, to work on an M&P yourself. Uh, I know there might be somebody listening out there saying, oh, I, Bob, I know how to do it very well. Okay, but I think for most people, a Glock is easier to work on. You don't even need any special tools to take apart a Glock. I think I might need a special tool taking apart my uh, completely taking apart my M&P. So that's a little bit of a disadvantage, but I can learn that. It's nothing that I probably can't learn and eventually learn to do on my own. Reliability is outstanding. That's the last thing I'll talk about, but it should be the first thing that you consider. Reliability is outstanding. Not one single malfunction. Not one. Not one in well over a thousand rounds with all different types of ammo. I, I just simply can't argue with that. I, I can't. There's no negative to that. It's, it's functioned perfectly. Uh, never had to clear any malfunctions using this gun. So that's, that's just the way it is. That, that's why I think it's one of the best. If I, again, if I have to recommend this as somebody's first gun, I would recommend it in complete confidence. And I wouldn't regret my recommendation that somebody get this as their first gun and probably the same can be said about a Smith & Wesson 2.0 shield it's the same thing just smaller the same gun just smaller and easier to conceal carry and I would recommend those without reservation especially the price point the price point on the shield is just so so good that's why I think it's also a good, a good purchase as well. Okay, um, that's it. A little bit longer than I wanted to talk about it, but I wanted to make sure I got everything in there that was worth talking about. And uh, oh, one more thing I forgot to mention. I would no, I did, I did. I, I mentioned the thumb safety. Yeah, I would, I would get the version without the thumb safety. All right, that's it. That's the M&P 2.0 compact uh, in nine millimeter. I guess I would have to add one more thing and say I wouldn't get the 40. I wouldn't get the 40 caliber. Oh, no, I'm going to get people mad at me probably for saying that. I wouldn't. I just don't see the necessity in using 40 caliber unless you got 10,000 rounds of 40 caliber stored somewhere and a whole bunch of 40 caliber magazines, and you just have to have the 40. I don't know why you just have to have the 40, but if that's you, okay, then get the 40 caliber. But I wouldn't recommend it, especially for somebody's first gun uh, extra recoil the 40 only holds 13 rounds the 9 millimeter holds 15 in the magazine 
Um, so there you go. All right, that's it, folks. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget now that uh, we also Ben and I have a shooters club, and so if if you like what you hear on this podcast, you like what I do. Uh, and you like the videos that we put together, we got a whole lot more for you. One way you can support the show is by signing up for that membership. Uh, this is mostly a listener-supported show, as you know. And so for, for $8 a month, you can access over 80 videos. That's a lot. 8 bucks a month, 80 videos. I mean, that's $0.10 cents a video per month. $0.10 cents a video. Uh, that's it. Most people can afford that. And... $75 a year if you want to save a little bit of money get an annual membership $75 and you can renew at the $50 renewal rate check it out at shootersclubmembers.com recently Spencer Keepers had they he did a couple nice videos uh, and that are on the Shooters Club and he talked about pure shooting Brent Yamamoto from Suarez International I did a nice audio podcast with with Brent on self-defense shooting and ground fighting that's an audio podcast on the Shooters Club. Uh, ben and I have filmed a lot of videos that we did at, uh, at our classes that we taught. Even Masada Yub did a, a nice custom audio, uh, audio podcast for me uh, several years ago. So he's on there. Glenn Tate has done some customized podcasts for the Shooters Club members. Uh, Jonna Dean has done some customized videos and audio podcast for the Shooters Club members. So get get signed up. Shootersclubmembers.com Once again, that's Shootersclubmembers.com With all that said, folks, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Remember, evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. So, shoot straight, shoot safe. Remember to read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next week.